Off top. New Smyrna Beach in Florida is known as the shark bite capital of the world. From 2010 to 2023, this beach has seen 32 shark attacks, twice as many as any beach in the world. Play the music. (laughs) This is the Dominique Foxworth Show. All right, so I'm on vacation right now, but you know I wouldn't leave you guys with nothing to listen to, so I recorded a bunch of interviews with NFL Nation reporters, not all of them, just uh, about nine of them that teams I found pretty interesting, so you guys will have something to listen to. So I put them in groups right now. You're going to be listening to Jamison Hensley with the Ravens, Ben Baby with the Bengals, and Brooke Pryor, the Steelers. All right, that voice is Jamison Henley. He's the um, NFL Nation writer for your Baltimore Ravens. I, I mean, everyone who brings a fact, there's normally a reason behind it. I, I did you get bitten? What is going on? I, 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 would, I did. What? Yes, okay. I was. You know, you know, we have a short window from mini camp to training camp uh, in the NFL, and I was in Fort Lauderdale, and I was out in the ocean with my son. Jack and we were talking and all of a sudden I felt a bite behind my leg and I looked down and you know I'm sure when I tell the story the shark will get bigger over the years but it was it was about three feet long uh, and there were about 10 of them swirling around us luckily I grabbed I grabbed my son and we ran to the beach uh, and you know, I, I, you, I have the, you know, you, you can see the bite, not right now, but right. I mean, it's a, it was right on the back of my thigh and you can see the, the teeth marks oh from the gosh. shark. All right. Well, I, I'm going to need you to send me a picture cause I need to, I need the proof that is yeah. scary and crazy. And I will not be going to that beach you talked about or to Fort Lauderdale. I'm staying out of those waters. I, yeah. I don't know. I'm always the one who tells people like, uh, you're more likely to get in a car accident. Like I'm that guy. Like don't worry about it. I'm not that guy anymore because I've never met anybody that's actually been uh, bitten by a shark. I uh, believe me. I wish I didn't have. That's the story. One story I wish I really didn't want to have. Um, but like I've told people when they go, the the question they always ask me, they're like, well, what kind of shark was it? I'm like, I didn't stare long enough. <laughs> doesn't you know? matter. I ran. Okay, it doesn't I, matter. <laughs> I did not stay long. Go. Oh, what kind of shark is it? Oh god. All right, so the ocean is unpredictable, and so is the Ravens' offense this year. How do you like that transition? So um, last year, it seemed like we were coming into the season, and it was a new defense, and it was like a makeover for the defense, which it took a little time for them to find their footing. Adding Roquan Smith later really helped them figure it out. But right now, I can't remember being this excited and anticipating a new offense now that Todd Munkin is there. And goodness gracious, the talent and the skill position is so unraven like. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It really is. And I honestly, you know, I think I think you can legitimately say there's really no excuses kind of for Lamar at this point where this offseason, it really has been in Baltimore, the 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 offseason for Lamar because he got everything he he essentially wanted. I mean, he got his contract. Uh, you know, he went and talked to general manager Eric Costa. He requested to get either Odell Beckham Jr. or DeAndre Hopkins. They got OBJ for him. Uh, he wanted a more pass-friendly offense, so they parted ways with Greg Roman as their offensive coordinator, brought in Todd Munkin. So everything he really wanted this offseason, the Ravens have checked most of those boxes 
Uh, so you can sense the excitement with, with Lamar being out there. And he kind of talked about how Munkin has get, given him the keys to the offense because not only does he expect to throw the ball more this year, he's going to be able to audible more okay. at the line of scrimmage. He's going to be able to change things uh, when he goes up there. And that's that's something that he's rarely ever done under Greg Roman. In fact, even last year, it was, it was a struggle for them to get the playoff right before the play clock expired. Now he's going to have the chance to have time to get up there, look at the, the what's the defense presenting, and then change if he wants. It may have been what Lamar wanted, but like I, I also think it's what the Ravens needed. Yeah. I think for next steps of this team, and in in my view, it fits in well with what he's capable of, uh, like spreading out a team and making them cover more than just Mark Andrews. Speaking of Mark Andrews, is he going to get lost in the shuffle? Like I, there's so many miles to feed, and I have a hard time believing he's going to be the number one target, especially if Rashad Bateman can stay healthy and Odell Beckham can stay healthy and Zay Flowers is as good as we think so that's there's a bunch of questions in there what happens with Andrews and how good is Zay Flowers yeah with 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 Andrews it's going to be interesting because under Greg Roman he had a chance to kind of freelance a little bit more ever since Lamar became the starting quarterback midway through that 2018 season it was almost he had that that backyard football feel with Mark Andrews and it, it was almost immediate when it happened with Munkin he likes his routes run a specific way. And I think that's going to be a change for Lamar and, and Andrews. Uh, it, it could be a positive in, in, in as well, but I think how the offense is run, it's going to be different for Mark Andrews and, and Lamar Jackson. I still think Mark Andrews, I'll, I'll still put money on Mark Andrews being the, the top pass catcher in this this offense. Oh, really? Maybe not as the, the margin as before, uh, but I still think he's going to be the number one target. But Zay Flowers, everyone I talk to, is raving about him. Uh, they, you know, Morgan Moses, the longtime offensive tackle, says you, you you talk to to this rookie, and it's like talking to a a three year vet. Uh, mm-hmm. I was talking to somebody else the other day, saying you know Zay Flowers is asking to get an extra leg workout every single week, and that's something that wide receivers you don't hear wide receivers <laughs> ask for an extra leg. And then during the the, the past three weeks, uh, leading up to training camp. Zay Flowers was knocking on Lamar's door in Florida saying, hey, let's throw some passes. So when when, when training camp starts, yeah, you know, Lamar might be throwing the ball and, and, and trying to get some chemistry with other guys, but he's been throwing the ball consistently with Zay Flowers. So I don't think there's going to be a lot of catch up between that. I think they're going to have a lot of chemistry from the get-go. Well, you've been around this team for more than 20 years, right? And so yeah. you've been around football for longer than that. So I know you know that preseason talk is sometimes just talk and you're telling me about Zay Flowers suggests that this is believable for some reason there's something above and beyond it's not just the oh best shape of my life that you get every year I'm on plant I'm on plant only diet now I'm gonna be like all that foolishness right yeah and I mean for the Ravens too whenever you talk about a rookie first round pick wide receiver for the Ravens you always kind of have to be like, oh, you know, they haven't had the best track record. The Ravens, as you know, they, they've hit on every single position pretty much except wide receiver as far as getting it. And, and honestly, I think they're the only team, only franchise never to have a Pro Bowl wide receiver. So, uh, you know, they're due. They're due. And I think from talking to a lot of people that have seen Zay Flowers work every single day this offseason, uh, there is a lot of excitement. I think more excitement, honestly, I've heard more excitement about Zay Flowers than even Odell Beckham Jr. And uh-huh. I, mean, that's, I think that's saying a lot as well. Yeah, I, I was really impressed with Rashad Bateman at the beginning of last yeah. year before he got hurt. Is he, uh, I know 
we talked about uh, all these other weapons. He was supposed to be the number one, and he seemed like he was showing himself as a true number one receiver. Uh, what do you expect from him in this coming season? Yeah, that, the, the injury question is always with, with Rashad. And uh, he's coming off a Liz Frank foot injury. Uh, Sidelined in the last nine games of last year, uh, he got the screws removed this spring from the foot, and he's, he's consistently had some soreness. And he got a cortisone shot uh, in mid-June, uh, and it still hasn't really helped. So he's he's on PUP uh, to start training. I think he's going to miss maybe one or two weeks of training camp, and then you'll see him come back. But honestly, I, when, when, when Rashad Bateman is out there on the field, he is very polished. Uh, he's more physical. Uh, than what you would expect out of a guy that's maybe just like around six one six you know six foot six one, uh, but the big question with can he stay healthy? And I think that's until he answers that question, you could say he could be a possible one, number one wide receiver, yeah. but you just don't know. Right? Yeah. I mean, speaking of staying healthy, healthy, I feel like Ronnie Stanley was on pace for a Hall of Fame career until the injury uh, kind of derailed that. What can we expect from him? And like, honestly, I think the offensive line, it's not fun to talk about, but I think they have a really good offensive line there, assuming Ronnie Stanley can return. I mean, maybe not to all pro level, but somewhere close to that. Yeah, I I don't think it's a, you know, a a stretch when you say when Ronnie Stanley was an all pro left tackle in 2019, Lamar Jackson was also the NFL MVP. And I I think there is a correlation between that. Absolutely. when, When Ronnie Stanley is at the top of this game, this offensive line gets elevated even more. And uh, in talking to Ronnie, you know, this is kind of the first offseason that he hasn't had to deal with that ankle injury. And and if, if people don't remember, Ronnie was, you know, again, in 2020, coming off that all-pro year, he was, again, having a great start to that year, signed a huge deal in October, uh, making him the second highest paid offensive tackle. Two days later after signing that deal, he injured his ankle, was done for the season. Not only that, but it really hurt. He wasn't even fully recovered the second year after that injury. Now he feels this is the first offseason he hasn't had to really think about his ankle. And he feels like he's, again, I know we we talk, he's in the best shape of his career entering <laughs> this great camp, uh, but he really does feel that yeah, way. Yeah. And and if, if Ronnie Stanley can even come close to being an all-pro left tackle, I think, you know, Lamar, it helps out. Lamar it helps out everybody on this offensive line. And I think then you start talking about this offensive line not isn't just a top 10 offensive line, but it could be a top five or even the best one in the league. Yeah, being able to protect him really will uh, allow – I mean, all quarterbacks are much better when they're not under pressure. <laughs> you can get – and Lamar Jackson, even though he's a, a super athlete, he's no different. If you leave him back there in the pocket, just like most quarterbacks in football, he's going to pick you apart and probably better than most quarterbacks in football. All right, let's transition over to the defense. And uh, – they made their scheme transition last year. There's a couple roster spots that I think like the corner opposite um, uh, opposite Humphrey is is a, a bit of a question mark. I think they have Rock Yassin in there right now, right? And they've moved on from Marcus Peters. So uh, what's the expectation for, for Rock? And uh, the Ravens, as you know, and I know very well, great history of secondary play. <laughs> yeah, right. And I mean, you know, they, they feel real confident in, in Marlin. Uh, and you know, moving away from from Marcus Peters, and last year Marcus wasn't yeah. his, his normal self, and he, he was coming back a year removed from the ACL. Uh, but still, you just when you don't have Marcus Peters, you lose that ball, and right. that's and and, and and you know, I looked at his stats, and uh, since he was with the Ravens in the middle of 2019, he had six or eight interceptions over that time. Uh, 
the, you know, the, the Ravens, nobody else, it was two more than anybody else on the Ravens have ever had. So, uh, again, you, you're not going to replace what I think. And Rock, Rock's not that type of player. He's not. He's yeah. not. But they know that if he gets beat, it's going to be physically. Mentally, he understands things, and he's going to be in the right position. So he's going to be solid. He might not be the guy that's going to get you you know, three, four, five interceptions a year, but he's not going to get beat as, oh. as much well. So, yeah, so I think that they're, they're, they feel solid in that regard. Uh, but then after Rock Yassin and Marlon Humphrey, it's a lot of question marks after that. Who's the guy? So I, I, I want to give you a two-part question. Like, yeah. um, the guy or the unit that we are excited about this year, and the other part of that is the not-so-positive part. Like, on the defensive side of the ball, the unit or the player or position, I guess, that uh, people are concerned about. Yeah, and I'll— I will, I will say that the, the guy I think everyone is really excited about is David Ajabo is a oh, pass rusher right. uh, for the Ravens. And this is a guy that would have been a top 15 pick a year ago. But, you know, he, he tore, tore the Achilles uh, on his uh, on his pro day. Uh, the Ravens got him in the second round. Ecstatic they got him in the second round. And now that he's a full year into kind of the program, uh, he's a guy that they feel like can be that Terrell Suggs type pass rusher oh. coming off. Some big and words. It, yeah, I don't know. And speaking of Suggs, they haven't had a, a pass rusher here. They haven't had real, actually anybody here to get double-digit sacks since Terrell Suggs. So it's been a while. And so they're, they're really hoping uh, in, 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 that, in that regard. Uh, but, yeah, and I, I think really the, 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 the big kind of question mark really for the Ravens, especially even defensively, uh, I think would be the, the defensive line because you lose a Calais Campbell. And, again, he was, you know, it's kind of aging a little bit. Uh, but still, you don't have you. I, 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 when I throw some names at you, I know you know the, the common NFL fan, a casual NFL fan, might not know a, a Justin Matabuke, uh, you know, a, a Broderick Washington, a Travis Jones. Uh, the Ravens love these young guys, but they're really not known uh, throughout the leagues. So uh, I think they're they this defensive line feels like they have a lot to prove. But I think if you have a question mark, I think that's kind of a concern. Uh, that's an encouraging answer, though. If the the, yeah. the concerning area is also the area where you have the player that you're most exciting about, that's that's interesting. I was um, honestly anticipating a Kyle Hamilton reference because uh, he's a versatile player, and he seemed like he started to figure things out. I mean, saying he started to figure things out implies that he wasn't good from the bet from the jump, but he's a a big, intimidating, physical presence who's yes. versatile, and I think his ceiling is probably pretty high also in this system. He, he's a guy, I mean, 6'4", I mean, he's a, a guy that <laughs> I've never, crazy. I mean, you look at him, you're like, how is this guy a safety? I mean, he just does not have that prototypical body type you think for that position. I'm looking like, how are you going to do this? But, and he did, he, those first couple of months were kind of a struggle. And yeah. you could tell he was battling confidence wise because he had never had that happen before in his career. Uh, but the, towards the end of the year, starting to figure it out, but. I'm just wondering where they're going to play. I mean, are they going to play him a little bit closer to the line? Are they going to make him with Marcus Williams going back and, and do a little bit more covered too? Uh, I think that's going to be something we'll figure out throughout the year. But uh, this is a guy that you, when you look at him, typically you're like, this doesn't look like your NFL safety. Yeah, I, I know that. And the, the regime there in Baltimore has changed, but it was a, a transition and not really a firing as much as it was a passing of the guard. And I know Ozzy's still involved, and I bring that up because one of the things that I, I've seen them do over the years is bring in players and 
eventually change their position. And I would not anticipate that for Kyle Hamilton necessarily. But I do think that he gives them a flexibility where he is big and strong enough to play essentially an outside backer or in a box safety and, and athletic enough that it won't be a mismatch. So while he may not make a ton of big plays, the versatility that he provide that he can provide for that defense, I think could be something that uh, can allow other people to play well. Cause that's a hard thing. I, I know from experience being out there on the field where you're looking to the sideline, waiting for substitution packages, then you have less time to call your play. If you got a yeah. guy that can move in different spots, it changes things. Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised with Kyle Hamilton if he finishes with 100 tackles this year, honestly. I mean, he made a lot of tackles last year, uh, and if he can carry that over this year, I think 100 tackles would not be a surprise for anybody here. That's a valuable thing to have, somebody who can take people to the ground in football. Yes. All right, um, unless there's anything else you wanted to, to touch on, I want to end by asking you if you remember your very first piece that you wrote for my University of Maryland Diamondback newspaper yeah and i it was uh on the club water polo team what <laughs> yes do we still have one of those i don't know i don't know if they have it i mean they, do they have a swimming pool there i don't remember anymore <laughs> yeah. uh but the swimming pool was next to the to coalfield house yeah. uh and i remember going in there going you know first i thought water polo I'm, you know kind of the joke is how do the how do they teach the, those horses to swim <laughs> you know, kind of thing. but i went in there did a, did my story on the the water polo i still have it cut out my diamondback you know article i have it cut out it's not very good but i still remember it <laughs> all right well you got a lot of pictures to send me i need to see this diamondback <laughs> article and i need to see these bite marks either way thank you so much and hopefully we can talk again later in the season when the ravens are off to a great start Hold on, hold on, wait, wait. Before I let you go, this is a question that I had that just popped into my mind. Who do the Ravens see as their rival? Because I, I, I've spent some time talking to both people at Kansas City and um, people in Cincinnati. And it's funny that Kansas City and Cincinnati think of each other a lot. They're yes. preparing for each other. But I kind of think the Ravens are going to win the division this year and might be the biggest threat to the Chiefs in the AFC. Yeah, I would still. I mean, obviously, historically, the the biggest rival it's it's the Pittsburgh Steelers. But right. now, after losing Big Ben and yeah. you know the the Ray Lewis and Ed Reeds of the world have gone, yeah. I, mean, I think rival is the wrong word because the rival is a different thing. But I, I think like the competitor, you know, like who yes. who are they thinking of? Because every year you're kind of like in training camp. When I was in training camp, there it was like the Pats. Like we kind of no one would say it out loud, but in the back of our mind, we was like. Peyton Manning and the Pats, these are what we're here for. Is that do you feel a vibe or is in um in Baltimore about that particular team? Yeah. I think big picture wise, I think the Chiefs would be it. But I think if you ask anybody in that locker room, their first thing is they got to get past the Bengals. If right. they want to get where they want to go, the Bengals. And I think it's really bothered them over the past few years of losing uh, to to the Bengals three straight, but three straight games to the yeah. Bengals, but those are games Lamar Jackson hasn't played in. Right. And, I mean, you look. I mean, they've had Anthony Brown, Tyler Huntley, Josh Johnson. Those are all guys that have played in those games. So, they've. Lost. I think they really want to see, when they have Lamar Jackson, how good these Bengals can be. Yeah, and I, I know just from being from Baltimore, I have friends and family that are fans, and they all sincerely believe that they should have won that playoff game. And if Lamar Jackson would have played in that playoff game, then it wouldn't have even been close. But, uh, yeah, that, that red zone turnover was a real big problem. 
Yeah, and they, they, it really bothers them that Tyler Huntley, they feel it, it, the play was designed for him to go low, not high. He went high, and the fumble, and the rest is the rest is history. Oh, well. Well, sorry to end on a sad note. Uh, I mean, we started we, we started on you getting a shark bite, so I think it's only appropriate that we end on a similarly sad note. All right, thanks a lot, Jameson. I appreciate you. Talk hey, to you anytime. Soon. Thank you so, so much. Appreciate it. All right, Ben Baby. He's the NFL Nation reporter for uh, the Cincinnati Bengals. I was doing some research to get ready for this today, and it struck me that I, probably like a lot of the fans there, have high expectations for the Bengals, and that's weird. I still haven't gotten used to it. Like, what are the expectations like out there, considering the fact that, I mean, they've never won a Super Bowl. They've been, I think 1990 was their last playoff win before the Joe Burrow era. But now it feels like there's almost an expectation that they're going to be at least in the conference championship. Yeah, you know, when you, we were talking to them yesterday and, and looking at this, and, you know, they had their, or earlier this week, uh, you know, they looked at, uh, as they get going, what this franchise is going to look like. Because like you said, for when I got here in, in 2019, I just knew it as kind of a franchise that really hadn't done much of anything. I, I learned about the curse of Bo Jackson because uh, apparently ever since Bo Jackson had his last uh, injury there uh, against the Bengals, they had never won a playoff game. So that got snapped in 2021. And then now, you know, a lot of people are wondering whether 2021 was a fluke. And then we saw them last year not only go out and, uh, you know, they, they not only won the division, but they won it emphatically winning their yeah. last eight straight regular season game. So the expectations are sky high. They won the division in back-to-back years, and I don't think anyone has ever won uh, that division three years in a row. So I know you guys view, or not you guys, but I know the Bengals view the Chiefs as their number one rival. But I don't know. I feel like even winning that division, getting over the Ravens, should be a a huge hurdle for them this season, even though they've cleared it the last couple years. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with you. You know, I think the Ravens are going to be a really interesting team, you know, looking at especially what they've done. You know, they they obviously figured out the Lamar situation, got him locked up long term. Bringing in Todd Monken, uh, you know, I, I find that narrative really as someone who used to cover the SEC, the fact we're getting hyped about a Georgia, former Georgia offensive coordinator. Uh, that's a little new for me because Georgia, <laughs> not really known for offense over the last few no, years. No, not innovation. But I appreciate so you you're uh, you've been a perfect guest so far because you keep setting up these segues for me. You mentioned the Lamar Jackson um, contract situation. It's been crickets. Speaking of cricket, been crickets out of um, out of Cincinnati about the Joe Burrow contract situation, the Jamar Chase contract situation, the T Higgins contract situations. One of the drawbacks of having a lot of really good young talent. <clears throat> Oh, gosh, I almost choked on a <coughs> granola bar. Don't cut it out. Leave it in. I ain't embarrassed. One of the one of the uh, drawbacks about this good young talent is that you got to pay them all at some point. And I haven't heard much out of that. What's, uh, is there any insight you can give us on what you expect and what progress there's being made, if any? Well, since since we're since we're being honest here, I'm also finding some granola in my throat. I had it came on, so so we're both in the same boat here. There we go. Uh, what I had so so we when we spoke to Mike Brown and, and Duke Tobin at the team's annual media luncheon, we tried to get as much out of that. Heck, I asked Mike Brown about the NFL escrow situation because, as you know, you know you've got to put a certain amount of guaranteed money into right. escrow, and he wouldn't even touch that topic. He said, "I've I've you know been bound to not speak about the contract." Uh, Joe's side has also done that, so we're going to honor it as they go through negotiations. I tried to pester Duke Tobin, and he basically told me, he said, uh, you could keep asking about it all you want, yeah. but I'm not going to do anything. So I'll, I'm trying, but obviously 
that's a big question here in Cincy. I love that you asked uh, Mike Brown about the escrow situation because anyone who follows uh, professional football closely enough, you know the reputation for the Bengals is not having that much money, being kind of cheap, and part of the criticism for, uh, or part of the reason why people are concerned about the long-term deal is, do they got enough liquid cash to put in escrow to pay Joe Burrow, which I think that's ridiculous. I'm sure they probably do, but it is kind of funny to to have you ask that question. Oh, we got some blur. You giving us some uh, some uh, special camera tricks. You blurred on me. I like it. A little, little focus. <laughs> Listen, it's 2023. We got to step the game up a little bit here. You know, you got to. We're moving into a video era, so you got to. You got to switch it up a little bit. I like it. All right, so. Um, I think it's pretty hilarious that you decided you wanted to ask Mike Brown about uh, the escrow situation because I don't know if people follow the NFL closely enough, but when you sign major contracts, because back in the day, some teams didn't actually have the money, you had to put the money, a, a certain amount of money aside to guarantee that the player got play, got paid. That is not a concern for any NFL team. But sometimes people look at Mike Brown and the Bengals and be like, eh, we really need y'all to put that money in escrow. So I feel like you was asking a question, but you also was trolling a little bit. <laughs> Listen, you know what's crazy is Mike Brown, you know, someone else asked him about, you know, being able to pay these guys. And he had a very interesting metaphor. I'll let you make of it what you will. But he essentially said there's a lot of hogs that need to be fed. Oh, God. And you only have so much about You got a bag of corn. And eventually uh, the bag of corn is going to run out. And so oh, not everybody God. gets paid. I don't know if that's a metaphor that I would have made, but that's what Mike Brown said. That's a terrible metaphor. I mean, he ain't grow up on a farm or anything. What are we talking Why are we feeding hogs? It's just money. Like, ah, whatever, Mike Brown. All right. So the Joe Burrow conversation, he's obviously their franchise quarterback, one of the best quarterbacks in football. He deserves this contract. But we start talking about legacy stuff. I know it's premature to talk a legacy for a guy like Joe Burrow at this point in his career, but he's on a trajectory to be one of the great quarterbacks in this league and maybe in a conversation for one of the best of all time. He don't have an MVP yet. Is there any concern or, I mean, concern is the wrong word, but is there any talk about them trying to do that for him? I know that they believe in him. They want him to be considered in that conversation, but I think that's a hurdle that he's got to clear at some point. Yeah, you know, Dominate, towards the end of last season, you know, you, you kind of pulled the locker room and, they, and Burrow was starting to heat up and they were on that winning streak. You had guys like Jamar Chase and, and head coach Zach Taylor all talking about how Burrow should should be in that MVP mix. And sure enough, he actually was, I believe he was fifth in voting and got some votes. I'd have to go back and double check that. But he was, he, it's a notable section on him that he is inching towards there. But obviously, you know, the question is now going to be, where is he at in that pecking order, you know, in this in the league, and he's going to be measured up against Patrick Mahomes. Right. And, and Joe acknowledged that that he's at the mountaintop right now. And, and you know, Joe, in his, for his his money, you know, Patrick is number one uh, when it comes to NFL quarterbacks. And anybody who's watched the league the last couple of years has to agree with that. But I think yeah. that for the Bengals to go where they want, you've got to have Burrow playing at that level. If he's going to win an MVP, I feel like this is the year to do so because they may not be able to hold on to those receivers. This offensive line is as good as it's ever been. Now they brought in Orlando Brown and move uh, Jonah Williams over to the right side. I think in Joe Burrow, is this his first healthy training camp? Like I, I feel like every other year training camp, he's got something going on or something happens. Well, well, yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because we we thought the same thing last year that all of a sudden his appendix gives out. Yeah. And I, I want to put this into perspective, too, talking about kind of the MVP conversation. This might be the first actual healthy, full training camp that Joe would have had. You look back in 2021, he was coming off the ACL and in his rookie year. And then last year, he had the emergency appendectomy. Yep. And, and, you know, talking to people inside the building, you know, it was very heavily downplayed 
how much that affected him. You saw him play in that week one game against Pittsburgh. He was throwing into windows he thought he could make. He could not. Yeah. And it took several weeks. If you really go look at his splits, go look at it from week one to six, and then week six at the end of the year. And that's when you really, you know, it, it looks like that's the point where he started to trust his body again, and it got back to what it was before the appendectomy. And it was almost like it was a completely different quarterback. Yeah, I'm not much of a gambler, but it seems like that would be a good place to put your money if you were thinking MVP, considering the first full training camp and um, the offensive line and the receivers and all that stuff and the motivation that they have this year. Um, speaking of MVPs, he wasn't the MVP last year, but he is always the MVP, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, we've noticed that the personality of Joe Burrow has uh, leaked into this team and Patrick Mahomes on the other side. There's a lot of of animosity, I guess, or maybe that's the wrong word, but there's tension between the Chiefs and the Bengals, and it's been a lot of shit talk this offseason. I'm going to ask you, what's your favorite? What was your, of, of all the the um, trash talk between these two organizations, what was the move that you liked the best? Yeah, Dominique, to, to use it, now I am going to use a Texas metaphor here. If I'm using a, uh, if I'm going to equate the amount of beef to about a pound of brisket, I put about like <laughs> half pound, put it on the scale. That's kind of where we're at on the beef freighting here. Uh, my favorite thing that we've heard so far is Mike Hilton going into the AFC Championship game, uh, looking into a camera oh, saying, see y'all at Burrowhead. I mean, that's a little bold that was great. Uh, to be saying. So, so far, like it's been quality back and forth that I think, you know, quite frankly, and I, I'm curious your thoughts. I feel like this could be one of the better rivalries we've seen in the NFL in quite some time. It already is. It feels like it. Uh, it's a, a game that we look forward to, and it has the marquee quarterbacks in the trash talk, you're right, takes it to the next level. I appreciate the Bengals because they do a lot of pregame trash talk. And as much as I love uh, Mahomes' father saying, we smoke it on that burrow pack after the game, I mean, it's, it's fun, but if you ain't talking shit before the game. You ain't really talking shit. You wait till after the game to talk. That's, I mean, you already won. So the Bengals get the leg up for the trash talk because what is, I think um, Kelsey did a little pregame trash talk where he like got into it with the mayor, right? There was something like that happened. I remember that last year, but I'm looking forward to it this year. Dominique, do you have time for a quick Patrick Mahomes senior story since you mentioned him? How about dare his, you? About his How dare you ask me if I have time for? <laughs> of course, I have time for a Patrick Mahomes senior story. Let me hear it. All right, so I'm I'm in college. I'm in my first job at the Denver Record Chronicle. I'm easily the youngest guy at the paper. It's not very big. The only guy that plays golf and play golf is a very loose way to to put how I play. Uh, so we had a we had a spot at a charity tournament. So I grabbed me couple of my fraternity buddies, we show up there on like seven o'clock on the morning on this course. We're the only group without a foursome and we're playing uh, and we're, we're going through this and, and I'm on the third hole in the rough somewhere. And all of a sudden this dude just shows up out of the golf cart and he goes, Hey, I'm your fourth person. And we start, you know, I'm, I'm figuring out how I'm going to get out of the rough or whatever. We ask what his kid's doing. He goes, Oh, my kid's a quarterback at Texas tech. And I'm like, Oh, so walk on dad, whatever. <laughs> no. I'm in the middle of my backswing and, and someone, my buddy goes, where are you from? And he goes, I'm from White House, and I'm sitting here. I'm like this, and I go, you mean Pat Mahomes? He goes, yeah, I'm Pat Mahomes Sr. So there was a long story short. I'm going to fast forward this. We're on a tee box uh, later on in the scramble. He, I feel bad for him because we're all terrible, yeah. but he steps up to the box, and he goes, I'm, I'm about to put a little chi-chi on this, and sure enough, he put that thing right on the green, and thank God we had him. Otherwise, we would have definitely finished above par. Oh, that is a great, great story. You think he remembers it? 
I don't know. I still have his number in my phone, so I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can take him up on a round of golf to see if I've gotten any better. He might. We'll see. Yeah, I absolutely need, think you need to do that. But um, I do want to transition from that great story, which we're clipping and using somewhere. I don't know how we're gonna use that, but that is a, a quality story to the um, the defense, which I think is. If there are questions about this team, that's where the questions are. Their best corner, Wuzier, is coming off of injury and may not be fully back yet. And two of their best players on defense are gone, and the safeties, uh, um, Bates and uh, Von Bell, are gone. So what do you expect from you, Lou Anaromo's defense this coming season? Yeah, you know, over it's it, the, the Anaromo discourse has been fascinating to watch. He was under heat, you know, the first couple of years, along with basically that coaching staff. And then, you know, as they got into that Super Bowl run and people saw what he was doing, you know, it really changed his perception inside the locker room. They call him the mad scientist because of how how flexible he is with his schemes on a week-to-week basis, and he's always cooking stuff up. Well, a lot of that was because you had a, a lot of versatility on the back end with a guy right. like Jesse Bates at free safety, a guy who had a lot of range, a lot of ball skills, allowed you to play single high at the top, uh, and then, you know, put Von Bell in the box and let you tinker with a lot of the formations. Well, now... Jesse's in Atlanta, you know, can Dax Hill, their first round pick last season, can he fill that void a little bit? I think a Wouzier, you know, it sounds like he's going to be, uh, could be, it, it's optimistic, I should say. Right. He should be ready for week one, considering when he got hurt and how the rehab's been. And he, when he's healthy, I'll be honest, I think he's one of the better corners yeah. in the league. You go look at his next gen stats, they're pretty solid. Cam Taylor Britt was a guy who came on at the end of last year. So I think, you know, replacing Bates is the hard part, but right. Anna Rubo is going to have to earn that moniker this year for sure. Yeah, I, I agree with you on Awuzie. He's really good. And coming back from knee at corner is something I can speak to. It ain't easy. So I'm rooting for him. Um, I would say the one thing about the safeties that I think gets overlooked is we think about old school defenses as the brain of the defense kind of being the middle linebacker. As I'm sure you know right now, that's not the case. It's normally the safety. The safety is the guy who's making the checks. He's making the communications. He's overseeing everything or one of them is doing it. To lose both of those safeties, I think that will be a hurdle. It's probably make it harder for, for Lou to be that mad scientist if he can't trust that the guys in the back end can um, cover for him. But if you don't have anything else, I want to end on a little bit of a fun note. When I'm preparing for this, uh, for this, I'm checking your Twitter, and I just see that you just posted a picture of some French fries and, and chicken tenders. What? Yeah, so basically, uh, so I don't really use Twitter much these days. Okay. I've, I've committed to moving, but... It was kind of a full circle bit. So I think back in 2018. Oh, it's an old bit. Okay. This is, this, is, this is a recall for the diehards who've been following okay. me for way too long. So in 2018, I basically uh, went back when I covered college football. I said, I'm going to go on a, uh, I'm going to pretend I'm a chicken finger recruit. So I'd be pulling up at the Raising Canes, you know, Chicken Express, uh, whatever else we had, Super Chicks, whatever we had in Dallas. And I'd pretend I'm on the visit. So I take a picture of my food. I take a picture <laughs> with a worker. Uh, then we had like a commitment video. It was a uh, very elaborate bit. Uh, it was very dumb, but I, I think that uh, it was. I didn't realize how uh, how much people kind of enjoyed it until I was at Big Twelve Media Days and Matt Rule, who's the coach of Baylor, says, "Hey, I enjoyed the chicken bit over the summer." I said, "Thank you, Matt. I appreciate it." So, uh, so I figured, why not just tweet out a picture of uh, some chicken fingers? Because who doesn't love them? All right. Well, I know what I'm having for lunch uh, later this day. So I appreciate you for joining us, Ben. And I hope to talk to you later on in the season uh, when your team is, I'm sure, fighting for that division and maybe in contention for the Super Bowl. So thanks again, Ben. Yeah, absolute honor to be here, Dominique. Thank you.
Brooke Pryor. She is the NFL Nation Steelers reporter for us here at ESPN. You're at training camp where I'm sure it stinks because I remember being at training camp and it was very funky. But the Steelers are like an old school team. It's funny you brought that old school fact and you you mentioned Franco Harris because I find this team pretty interesting in part because you and I were talking before the show a little bit and they are constructing this roster in a way that is built around a running back and defense. And that feels like how I grew up. Yeah, this team, I mean, look, the standard is the standard. We know Mike Tomlin <laughs> said that 500 million times, and even that's probably a conservative estimate. But it's not just a Mike Tomlin standard. Like, this is how the Steelers have always been. Yes, they had an amazing quarterback for a long time in Ben Roethlisberger, but let's be honest. The defense has been the heart and soul of this team, of this organization for a long, long time. They just give Alex Highsmith a lot of money. They paid TJ Watt recently, Minka Fitzpatrick. They've invested so many resources in the defense and everybody else is out here loading up in an arms race, you know, signing guys like DeAndre Hopkins. You have, you know, big trades that go down like A.J. Brown to the Eagles and the Steelers are like, yeah, that's nice, but um, we'd like a running back and we'd like a defense. And we're going to win that way. And I, I actually asked TJ Watt about that today. I said, can you win if you're, you know, zagging while everybody else is zigging? And he was like, I mean, yeah, it's defense wins championships for a reason. So, again, another old school thing, but that's just the way the Steelers are. <laughs> that's exactly what I would expect a Watt to answer that question with is with the most cliche of all cliches. But that defense is ferocious, but they're in a division that is going to be challenging and they have the worst quarterback. I guess you could argue that. Uh, well, I was going to say Deshaun Watson's season last year was rough, but he still has the pedigree. Like we know that he is capable of reaching much higher heights than uh, than Pickett. But. What are the chances that Pickett takes that second year leap that we are hoping? Because I, I, his stats weren't great last year, but I thought like watching him, he was better than I expected and something to build on. And they've addressed the offensive line in some way, which I think is the best friend of every quarterback. They have receivers. Their offensive line is getting better. Hopefully, if the draft pick works out, they have a running back and a defense to support him. It's possible that Pickett, he could take a step, right? Right. I mean, here's the thing. Saying that he's the worst quarterback in the AFC North is he's not a, in bad company. It's not right. like you're saying he's the worst quarterback in the NFC. Like that <laughs> that would be an insult. Right. Would be. Yeah. Um, I think that Kenny Pickett, what he lacks in explosiveness. Right. We know he's not Lamar Jackson. He's not Joe Burrow. He's not even Deshaun Watson last year or at his peak. But what I think Kenny Pickett makes up for with is his swagger and his confidence. And you look at him and you don't think that's a guy with a lot of swagger. I get it. Watch Patrick <laughs> Mahomes. He has that. Right. But I see it in Kenny Pickett when he's on the field. Like he's a guy that his teammates will throw punches for. Um, they got in a shoving match for him, protecting him in Buffalo last year when DeMar Hamlin came in and had a late hit on Kenny Pickett and his linemen were up and like, all right, let's go. Right. Um, he's a guy that you want to play for. And he's a guy who... Late in the season, he had some two-minute drives, some game-winning drives at the end, starting with that Raiders game where they were honoring Franco Harris, retiring his jersey, and he drove down the field and won the game. Um, he did it again late in the season, and I think that what you saw from him was this combination of poise, confidence, and swagger, and a rookie quarterback that sometimes those situations get too big for those guys, and he's a guy who played at Pitt. No disrespect to Pitt, but like, it's not... Alabama it's not LSU it's he was in a different type of pressure but he rose to the occasion 
And you talk about he's a guy that you want to be that, you know, is his offensive line. You want him to be best friends with those guys. Right. Um, the image that I think about when back at training camp was last year. We're in the cafeteria and we're lucky enough that we get in there right as the players are there for dinner. So you kind of get to see some of these behind the scenes interactions. Pickett was sitting at a table. He's not the starter yet, mind you. He's sitting at a table surrounded by the O-linemen. And I just remember seeing that and thinking, you know, this is, I don't know how out of the ordinary this is, but to me, this speaks volumes that he's probably not in his comfort zone with like, you know, a guy like Connor Hayward, who he's known for a long time or with his other rookie classic. He's with the O-line. He's getting to know them. He's putting in that effort. He did that in the offseason. Some of the guys today were talking about how they've gone out to dinner with him, all of those things. So I think that he's really building a strong foundation. And I think that he will take a big step this year. The biggest thing to me is how much is the offense as a whole going to change? How much freedom is he going to have in Matt Canada's system? Will it be a less predictable offense? God, I hope so. Um, if I see the ball run one more time on first down, I I might, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to hack into the headset and call oh, a different play. I like that. Because um, I just, I can't take it anymore. And of course, they will run it on first down. But um, I can't wait for the first for first play in week one now. I am I will text you immediately. The very first play. <laughs> throw my phone. Oh, yeah, very first play. I want to see if they run the ball on the first, first down of the season. Done. And I'm betting they do. <laughs> no, listen, I want to see, I want to see a go ball. I want to see something splashy. It's going to be a 90 yard throw like something insane um but yeah I, I think if the Steelers are willing to take the training wheels off of Kenny Pickett I think he can ride the bike like you might have to hold on to the back for a second it might be wobbly in the beginning but like just give him a good shove and he'll get going and momentum will take it perfect analogy I have a young kid so I, I know what that's all about so the um there's a couple players on the offense that I'm interested in. So Pickens, obviously, he seems like he showed glimpses. Uh, he has the attitude, if nothing else, that you would want out of, frankly, I was going to say your receiver, out of a nose tackle. Like he's a ferocious player who's uh, aggressive and wants to make plays. So you have that. Uh, and I guess before we get uh, move on from that, I want to know, What's the like feeling? Oh, lights out. I like that. This is yeah. fun. Man, let's roll with it. It's a good time. You, I uh, appreciate you making time for us late in the evening to make sure this happens. I don't know if this is like a, a motion sensor thing. <laughs> it's not. I just wave my hands around for no reason. No, I think they're trying to kick you out. So we, we won't keep you for too much longer. But I guess I, I want to hear what people are saying about that receiving court. Like I, I expected that um, Pickens would become the one at some point. Is he moving into that? that role and being that dominant. I know he kind of like they moved on from they have, they still have the Deontay Johnson who has issues with consistently catching the ball. So I guess by default Pickens is the number one, but he didn't put up number one type numbers last year. Right. I, I still think that Deontay Johnson is the number one, right? I mean, he, it is wild though to say that he's their number one receiver yet. He didn't score a touchdown last Ooh. year. If that's not the craziest Stat that should have been my random fact. Yeah, I mean, what are the odds of that happening? Um, but I think that that speaks to just the offensive ineptitude as a whole. I mean, this is a team that started to be able to move the ball down the field in the second half of the year, but then they got to the red zone and it was like, oh no, what do we do? And let's just bring up Boswell and kick a field goal. Um, I I think that Pickens is a number two right now. I don't think that means that at the end of the season he's going to be the number two guy, but I think that. For him, again, it's it's the offensive scheme. It's getting him the ball more. That is something that we've heard 
from players, coaches, coordinators, that there is going to be an effort to have him more involved in the offense because he is an explosive player. I mean, you saw, I don't know what his catch radius is, but I feel like if you threw the ball Infinity, on <laughs> one side, like, and he was on the other, he would just like yeah. elast a arm and catch it. That has to it, be quarterback's best friend. So that's a, yeah. Yeah, that's a key to having that second year leap. Is normally you look at all the guys who've had that big that, that big jump. It's always because, or in part part of it is because they have a true number one who makes them so much better. Hopefully that picket pickens can be that for picket. So I, I want to get to. Um, preview in a piece that you're working on but before we get to that there's a couple of rookies that I find really interesting for the Steelers and so Darnell Washington is one of them and obviously Joey Porter Jr. playing the corner and also the the son of legendary linebacker is Joey Porter qualifies legendary I don't, I I don't think, know I think he's legendary he, he's a he's a Steelers legend yeah he's I a mean, legendary trash talker the combination of the two. <laughs> when you call a legendary, legendary a legendary Steelers linebacker there have been so many that it feels like you have to uh, draw the line somewhere so I, I'm happy to put Joey Porter uh, in that conversation so is there anything interesting you have on either of those two players because Darnell Washington is like strong as a, a offensive tackle and big and uh, a incredible tight end prospect. And then Joey Porter is going to be starting at corner, which is a tough spot to be in on a defense that really doesn't have any weak, any glaring weaknesses. Yeah, you talk about a quarterback's best friend. Darnell Washington should be up there and like making a friendship bracelet for Kenny Pickett <laughs> because he, yes, he can be an extra offensive lineman that just gives you so much more versatility and flexibility in what this offense can do, but I am really intrigued about him as the possibility of a target. I know that that wasn't necessarily a big part of his game at Georgia, and yes, the Steelers still have Pat Fryermuth, and he's still, I think, ascending to be one of the better tight ends in the league. Yeah. Um, but I think that Darnell Washington is just such a huge target. You talk about a guy that can bully a defense in the red zone, in in the, in the end zone. I mean, I think that as long as his hands, as long as he can hold on to the ball, which, as you alluded to, has been kind of an issue for some Steelers receivers. Um, if he can do that, I I like the options that he brings. And Joey Porter Jr., the most interesting thing about him is that when they, the Steelers this year drafted two corners, right? Him and Corey Trice Jr., another junior. Um, they are two of the biggest cornerbacks the Steelers have drafted in I want to say it was like since 2006, however far back this our SIG stats go, they looked at it because I was like, those guys are really tall and they kind of break the mold of the corners that we've seen the Steelers draft recently. And they said, yeah, the, Mike Tomlin calls them avatar corners because of just like how big they are. <laughs> and I think that that is so interesting. It's a league-wide trend that corners yeah. have gotten taller. And I think that in the physical... The AFC is so physical anyway. The division has some really good receivers. Last year, they did struggle at times with guys that could just take the top off a of defense. And I think that that becomes a lot harder when you have literal trees back there guarding <laughs> yeah. these guys. So I I think that Joey Porter Jr. will end up being a day one starter. And with him out there, that puts Pat Pete. He's talked about, hey, like I don't have to be a regular outside corner. You can put me wherever you want to. It would not shock me to see Joey Porter Jr. on one side, Levi Wallace on the other, and Pat P. in the slot. And I think that that would make it a really 
a really strong defense. That's a pretty good secondary with um, uh, still with Fitz and, and Casey, right? The other safety mm-hmm. uh, backing them up. All right. So the piece that you uh, mentioned that you're working on is about the changing uh, uh, or well, I, I won't even try to sell it. You tell me what it's about. It sounds really interesting. I love to hear how far you've gotten. And, and I don't know when to tell people when to read it, but I'm sure uh, we can come back and remind them when it's coming out. You know, it'll be on the Internet at some point and things on the Internet live forever, (laughs) um, as I've heard so many times. But it's so interesting because when you think about the league right now, it's a passing league, right? I mean, the highlights you see are these deep balls. But downfield passing, it was actually at its lowest level in years last year as far as how many deep throws are being attempted. The deep throws that are being attempted have a pretty high completion percentage, Mm -hmm. but There still has been a decline in the deep ball, and I've been talking to head coaches and coordinators and players about why they think that is. Because, again, when you think of the league right now, I mean, when I think of, you know, highlight reels in my mind, I'm like, all right, Patrick Mahomes can throw the ball over a mountain. Joe Burrow's got it on. I mean, you name it. These guys can do crazy things. Josh Allen, you know, but it's twofold so far i think it's actually going to be much more than twofold it's going to be like those things in elementary school where you know the fortune tellers yeah yes yes, yes. that's what it is we're going to have so many (laughs) options of why reasons why it's like this um one thing has been evolution of defenses have just gotten far more physical and they're taking away the deep throws which then obviously if you're taking that away then leads to the intermediate throws that then leads to okay so you're not just gonna you know throw a deep bomb but you can get a lot of yards after catch which then makes those receivers your slot receivers your physical guys so much more valuable because your offense just becomes predicated upon that the other part is it's some of it is the evolution of the offense as a whole coming up through high school and college and now it's coming over to the nfl that you're seeing a lot more of the play action pass you're not seeing as as much traditional drop backs as you used to because offenses are just I mean they're I think they're becoming really fun and gadgety but that means that you're taking away some of the traditional staples of an NFL offense the precision I I think part of it is probably also the precision of the passers I think they're they're getting better because that was one of the things I when I was playing where it was we would challenge teams to make a 10 successful plays down the field. And most of the time they can't like someone's, they're going to make a mistake at some point, but I, I know it's been a storyline for the last couple of years with Mahomes and with Burrow about how to address uh, two deep looks. And they, they figured out how to, both of them still have managed to figure it out. And I, I guess maybe the rest of the league is coming closer to the Steelers because they do not take aggressive shots down the field. Not nearly enough, at least. So we'll see. Exactly. I appreciate you joining us. Uh, and hopefully we'll talk again soon. I think your team is going to be pretty good. Like, uh, it's a tough division, but there, there's a chance for a leap. I, I'm here, and I, I obviously I want my team to be talked about because then right. it's more exciting for me. Um, and so I will, you know, sometimes drive the Steelers train of like, hey, pay attention to these guys. But like, really, when you look at this roster, and we didn't even talk about Najee Harris, who I think oh. is going to be really good. And I know that his numbers, I- the efficiency, isn't there. 
I, I pre- still think no, 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 no. I'm sorry. I regret it. In this t- this era of running back abuse, I will not let you go without giving some love to Najee Harris. So <laughs> I, I'm hoping he's uh, he's as impactful as he has been up at this point, and hopefully he gets paid. But that's a whole nother conversation at some he's, other. Point. He's got a little bit of time before that, so we can enjoy him before worrying about the fifth year option for like. A couple games. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Brooke. Uh, hopefully we can talk to you again later in the season when things are going incredibly well for you in Pittsburgh. That felt I, I grew up in Baltimore. That felt really hard for me to say. But <laughs> I like you, so I, I'm rooting for you to have something interesting to talk about. Well, thanks. And thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Brooke. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show.